you'd like to follow along, I'll be reading from Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Uh, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Good morning, church. If you're visiting with us, we would like to ask that you will stick around a few moments after our services so that we might get to know you better, so we might encourage you, and thank you so much for coming our way today. There's a few things that I would like to mention before we get into our lesson this morning. Uh, number one, I want to encourage you to continue to pray for Steve Worley. Steve has made it to Africa, but uh, continue to pray for him and the work that's going on there, and I know that he will appreciate that. Also, it was brought to our attention uh, yesterday that, uh, you know, we're, we're involved in the jail ministry here, uh, down at the jail, and we've seen some fruit from that labor. But uh, the laborers have reduced. And so there is a great need for men who are willing on Wednesday evenings to go into our local jail and study God's Word with those inmates. Uh, it was mentioned that the men that are involved, they do not want to give this up but we're kind of at a crossroads and we need help. So if you can help with that in any way, please see David Burgess or Albert or Eddie Brumley and I'm sure that they will be able to plug you in to that work. It's great work. Uh, great fruit has come from that work. So if you can be involved in that, please, please think about that. Prayerfully consider that and talk to these men and they will plug you in. The last two weekends have been great. Busy, but great. I want to thank Daniel Overton and Brother Howard for filling in uh, last Sunday. I know that they did a great job and you were blessed as a result of their being here. But I want to mention a few things about CYC and then this past weekend. If you were not on the trip, I, I hope that you were praying for the trip. But we had a great, great time. We took about 60 and all of our adults, they, they pitched in, they helped. Miss Debbie made sure that we ate well. In fact, we ate better in our cabin than we did at restaurants. And we had a great time. But most of the, more than any of those things, we had the opportunity to, to sit at the cabin to enjoy fellowship with one another, to get to know each other better. But we also learned about being sold out for Jesus. We had several of our young people responded, several Bible studies that took place, uh, several baptisms. We were able to see Keelan baptized uh, in our cabin, but also then Wednesday night, Hannah and Kaylee. So we were uh, thankful to see that fruit of that great weekend. But I want to I say I appreciate Dustin. I appreciate the way that he kept us on spiritual focus. Standing out here in the parking lot, we, we got in a big circle before we prayed. This is what Dustin had us repeat. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about God. And that set the tone for our weekend. So Dustin, I, I haven't told you, but I thank you for that. And he, and he did that all weekend. But what a great thought. 
What, what a great thought when we come into this building to be reminded it's not about me, it's not about you, it's all about God. We had a great weekend and we were reminded and challenged to be sold out for Jesus. And then uh, I want to thank Greg and all the men who worked so hard and tirelessly to put together our men's retreat last week or this past weekend. Uh, I want to thank Miss Cheryl and all those ladies that helped her. And I was telling her, man, we ate great. There's one thing we do around here. We eat good. In fact, when I went home, I wasn't even that hungry. So I appreciate them doing that. And I appreciate Greg and all those men. But we were challenged this weekend. Men, we were challenged. If you were not here, we want to uh, extend to you that same challenge. To be leaders beginning in our homes our children and our wives they need that to be leaders right here in this congregation brother Donnie stood up and uh, at the end of the day yesterday in speaking on behalf of the elders and I want you to know our elders have challenged themselves to be the best shepherds of this congregation they can be They've admitted to us there's some places that maybe they've fallen short and they have challenged themselves to do better. But here's the thing. I don't want to point the finger at them because here's the challenge that they issued us men there yesterday and I want to extend to you because we talked about leadership but we also talked about followership. You see, for them to be the best leaders they can be, the challenge also comes to us to be the best followers that we can be. And so we have a challenge. We sit at a crossroads. We've been challenged over the last two weekends. Now what will we do? And so from our elders, they've issued themselves a challenge and they have issued all of us a challenge to reach deeper, to reach farther, to reach higher, to be all we can be, not for Savannah Church of Christ. Because it's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's all about God. There's a story of a young man. One night, their house caught on fire. And he had to seek shelter on the roof of the house. That was the only place for safety. And as he was there on that roof, his father was down below, and, and all this young man could see was smoke and blackness. And his father from below said, Son, you're going to have to jump down. And the son, he realized the only way to safety is if I jump off this roof, because eventually this roof will be on fire as well. And so the father would say, Son, you have to jump. Jump. I will catch you. And though the son knew that, he still reluctantly said, But dad, I can't see you. And I'm afraid. To which the, son, the father yelled back up to him, Jump, I will catch you. I, even though you can't see me, I can see you. And that's what's important. And so the son jumped through the blackness of the smoke into his father's arms. You see, faith as a Christian makes all the difference, doesn't it? 
We have looked, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We know love is of utmost importance. We've spent the last month talking about it. But Paul also says faith is important. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says this, Woe, that's an exclamation of of grief. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you actors and pretenders. For you pay tithe of mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a net and swallow a camel. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to think about faith. And we'll look at some different characters of faith, primarily from uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Some, some may not be listed there in Hebrews chapter 11. But today I want us to think about some of our English words that every time I went and looked at faith, these, some of these words kept coming up. And I want us to look about at about six of these words. Uh, they will be paired up of the English words that remind us of what faith really is. And then, uh, a little bit different than we normally do, I want to use illustrations, our stories that we use to illustrate from Scripture. There are words like fidelity and trustworthiness. Words like conviction or alliance. Words like assurance or confidence. These are the English words that describe this idea of faith. I think about one of my favorite movies, the Indiana Jones series. And every time I think about faith, I think about uh, the, the last series, the last movie of that series before they made the new ones. And in the end, the Jones, they're, they're searching for the Holy Grail. And his father's been shot. And the only way that he can take care of his father is, is to get through these three uh, tests. Uh, the penitent man will bow before God. And then uh, walking in the name of God. And he makes it through those and he gets to the last one. And there's this big, big gulf. And it appears that there's no way across. And so in the movie, he has to take, it's called the leap of faith. And so he closes his eyes and he reaches out his foot and he steps down on a bridge that cannot be seen. And he's able to go through and save his father. Now think about faith. But I've come across some of these English words that I want us to talk about for a few minutes in thinking about faith. First of all, we see the words fidelity and trustworthiness. You know, if a, if a person, if two people want to go down to, um, to a lawyer's office and they want to file for a divorce, they're, they're, they're tired, it's, it's over, it's done, and there's been adultery. You know, generally they will put, or are used to anyway, they would put for reasons of infidelity unfaithfulness. Well, the opposite of that is faithfulness or fidelity or trustworthiness. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is using that uh, faith in the terms of fidelity. You see, He reminds those people, uh, He didn't say, hey, giving is not important. 
He says, you have neglected the weightier matters of justice and mercy and faith, fidelity toward God. He didn't say, do not give. He says, yes, give, tithe. But you also include in that the weightier matters, justice, mercy, and fidelity or faith toward God. Some other places that we see, you notice on the screen there, uh, of this idea of trustworthiness, fidelity. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, notice it. Paul said, God is faithful. God is trustworthy by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful. God is trustworthy who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. The Bible says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised can be trusted, is faithful. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him Faithful, she judged him trustworthy. First Timothy chapter four and verse twelve. The Bible says, Let no one despise your youth. Here's one for you, young people. Let no one look down on you because you are young. Never young people say, Well, I'm young, I'm just a teenager, we're gonna do what teenagers do. No, if you're a child of God, you can set an example. Let no one look down on you. Because you're young. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in fidelity toward God, in being faithful to God. Young people, I have always believed and will always say and always believe that when you are a young person, especially through your teenage years, you can influence more people than at any other age in your life. Because when you're a young person, older folks, we look at you, we look at your enthusiasm, we look at how your heart turns toward God. People younger than you, they are looking up at you because of your faithfulness to God. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12, the Bible says, By Silvanus, our faithful, trustworthy Brother, turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew chapter 14. This is a very familiar passage to us, but I want us to see this idea of faithfulness portrayed here as we have Jesus walking on water and and He comes to those disciples. And I want you to notice this, um, this idea of faith, this idea of trustworthiness. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side, while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. Now when evening came, He was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves. For the wind was contrary or boisterous or... or, or are huge. It was it was really blowing. Now in the fourth watch of the night, John would tell us he's about they're about three or four miles out. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. Now think about that. You put yourself in those shoes. You're out in the middle of this sea, and all of a sudden you see someone walking on the water. What are you going to think? Time to hide. It's a ghost. I've never really seen a ghost, but I don't really want to see a ghost. And they thought it was a ghost. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And I love Peter. Notice where Peter puts his faith. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Lord, if that's really you, guess what? I have trust in you, Lord. And if anybody can walk on water, it's you. And if anyone could allow anyone else to walk on water, it's you. I trust you. Reminds me, I I rode the bus with Mark Kennedy uh, last weekend. And we would, man, we were going up those mountains and and, and I was willing to help back up or anything. And, and, And I said, you need some help? I'm good. And I'd say, well, I trust you. I have faith that you can back this thing up even if I'm not back there. I have faith that you can make this turn because I believe in you as the driver. I trust you. And Peter says, if anyone could allow me to walk on this water, Jesus, it's you. I trust you. And Jesus said, okay, Peter, come. And the Bible says, and when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. That's trust. That's faith. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out. Now, a lot of times we we think about that illustration and we think, well, Peter, why... Why did you doubt? You, you begin to sink. But I want you to notice this. Peter never totally lost trust. Sure, he noticed all the other things that were going on. And that caused him to sink because he took his main focus off Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about God. He took his focus off of Jesus and he began to sink. But even in the midst of his sinking, who did he cry out to? Jesus. Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and he caught him up. And he said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Of God. You know, maybe sometimes in our lives it takes that bold person who said, I will step out because, Lord, if anybody can do it, I trust you. And I want you to look around. Sometimes there's a lot of other people in the boat that haven't even stepped out. And sometimes your example, even when you struggle, your example of continuing to place your trust in God can help those who remain in the boat. The idea of fidelity 
our trustworthiness. Put our trust in Jesus. I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, and we'll meet there in just a few minutes as we think about the next few words. The next English words I want us to think about is the idea of conviction or reliance. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, I want you to listen to it from the English Standard Version. Look, Notice it on the screen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Some versions may say evidence. But that idea of conviction, that idea of reliance, I have to rely on you, Jesus, for salvation. Or the conviction of the truth of God's promises. Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. Whom God set forth as the propitiation by His blood through faith. Through reliance on Him to demonstrate His righteousness. We are convicted and rely on our salvation and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5, that your faith, your reliance, your conviction should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So often we're tempted to look at the wisdom of men. All, the, all this news and all this stuff that's out there, we, we think the power is in the wisdom of men. Well, they study, they ought to know. And God says, listen, we place our reliance on the power of God, not the wisdom of the power of men. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty also. If Christ didn't, did not rise from the grave, then what we do, our conviction, our reliance, it is empty, it is of no value. But because we are convicted, because we do rely on Jesus, we know that He is risen. Look at this example. Let's illustrate it this way in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 beginning in verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to Him. A centurion, a, a, a leader in the Roman army. Not necessarily a follower of Jesus. He comes to Jesus and He pleads with Him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion says, no, 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 wait a minute. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, New King James says he marveled. Other versions said he was amazed and said to those who followed, Assuredly I say to you that I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. Verse 13, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Jesus says, Not even among God's people have I found such conviction and such reliance on me. This centurion knew 
that if anyone could heal his servant, it was Jesus. And not only that, he knew Jesus only had to speak a word. What faith, what conviction, what reliance on the power of God. Can that be said of us today? The final two words I want us to think about this morning as it relates to faith is the idea of assurance or confidence. Hebrews chapter 11, 1 again from the English Standard Version. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things seen. Our faith in that word assurance means certain in our mind. Our faith is certain in our mind of the things that we hope for, the things that we long for. The heaven that is out there, Hebrews 11 would say, they longed for the promise. They looked to the promise. Though they did not have the opportunity to enjoy it, they looked for it in the future. They were assured of it. Two more passages of Scripture I want you to look at. First of all, turn to the book of John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and let's illustrate it with these two examples and then the lesson will be yours. John chapter 20, verse 24. Remember Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. John chapter 20 and verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see him in his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not have assurance. I will not have confidence that you've seen Jesus. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them this time. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unconfident, unbelieving, but confident, believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Because you have seen, you are assured of this promise. Because you have seen, you are confident. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Blessed are those who will come after you, Thomas, and they have not had the opportunity to see like you have. And yet they have assurance. And they have confidence. In Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus said to Peter, Why, oh you of little faith, why did you doubt? The idea that Jesus was conveying to Peter. Why did you lack confidence? Why did you lack confidence in me? 
Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, and we'll look at verses 21 and following. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to Him, and He was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when He saw Him, He fell at His feet and begged Him earnestly, saying, My little daughter, daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. They're, they're pushing up against him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind Him in the crowd and touched His garment. For she said, If only I may touch His clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in Himself that power had gone out of Him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? Who touched my clothes? But the disciples said, You see this multitude pushing in on you. And you ask, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith, your confidence, your assurance has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This woman had all the confidence in the world in Jesus. She put her confidence in Jesus and she said, if only, if only I could just touch the hem of His garment, then I will be healed. Folks, that's faith. That's confidence. That's assurance. And the question for us today is, are we assured of the things we hope for? Are we confident in those things? Are we placing our trust Ultimate trust in God. Do we rely on Him? Can people tell we are convicted that God is the God? Jesus is our Savior. And His Spirit is alive and well. So what do we do? What's the answer for us? Well, a couple of things real quickly I want to mention to you. James chapter 4. This came to my mind, and I want us to, to, to look at James chapter 4. Uh, but then, yesterday, we had the opportunity to talk about Joshua. And I want us to look at something in Joshua chapter 6 real quickly too. But in J James chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, the Bible says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's a dead confidence. It's a dead reliance. It's a dead assurance. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. 
But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the Scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers, sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. In our class this morning, we talked about the struggle of the balance of uh, obedience and good works and realizing that we're saved by grace through faith. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, it's not anything that we do, it's God doing those things. But then how do we know? How do people see? How do, how do people, how is it evident in the lives of, uh, or the eyes of people in the world that we have faith in God? And James would say it's by what you do. It's by how you live. Then they know that's where your conviction is. Then they know that's where your reliance is. Then they know that's what you're assured of. In Jesus Christ. So how will people know that we are followers of Jesus? It's evident in the things that we do. It's evident even when we look around and we see the, we see the wind and the waves, we see the storms, and, and we get in this struggle with this storm and we begin to sink. It's, it's in those moments when we cry out, Lord, save me. I failed in my confidence for You. But I want to fully put that in you again. What a message. What an example to a world who turns to all kinds of things for assurance and for help and relief. And when they see us, even in the midst of a struggle, Lord, I may have failed. Lord, I may have lacked confidence. Lord, I may not have lived out reliance on You, but I want to now because I trust You and I realize there's no one else that I can trust. There's no other power that I can put my assurance in other than You. In Joshua chapter 6, you remember the story when um, God has given Joshua and the people of Israel the city of Jericho. He told them that. He told him, I'm giving it this into your hands. And as was brought out yesterday, Joshua, this great commander of God's army, probably when he, had, when he spied out the land of Jericho or had it spied out, he began to think in military terms, now how are we going to take this city? God has said, go and take the city. He's given it to us. Now, how are we going to do that? Man, you know, let's see. And this, this example was brought out. Well, well, we'll take some around this side and some around that side and we'll be ready with our swords and our, uh, and our sticks and our javelins and, and we'll be ready to overtake the city because God has said. And then imagine when God gave him the directions. Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around that city. 
six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around that city. And I want you to have, uh, 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 I want you to have the the priest to, to blow trumpets. And, I, and when when you hear the trumpets blow, I want you to shout. And when all the people shout, the walls will fall. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Neither does walking on water. And yet God said, "This is what I want you to do." And Joshua led the people, God's people, the children of Israel, led them in faith, in assurance, in reliance on God, and did this crazy thing. And the walls fell. Maybe there's some walls in your life. And you need to ask God to help you tear down. Actually, you need to ask God to tear down so that you can continue to walk in faith. David Roper tells a story about a a man who exemplified dead faith. He had this bad headache and he goes to the doctor and the doctor tells him what he needs to do. I want to prescribe you this medicine. And the man said, okay. And so he believed in the medicine. He went home, he read the medicine, he read the directions. He said, I believe this medicine will do what it says it will do. Yet he placed it back on the shelf and he never took the medicine. Though he believed in the medicine, he never took the medicine. And therefore he never got well. Maybe it is today. You believe, but the Bible says even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons believe in God. Even the demons believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, and God's Spirit. But they do nothing with it. They make no changes. James even says, listen, when we believe, maybe even we've given our life to Jesus, but we do nothing with it. It's dead. What a challenge that lies before us. We are a great congregation. I look out over this audience and I see good, godly people. I see people that are doing good, godly things that never make it into that bulletin. That some of us never hear about or learn about, but God knows God, in Scripture, tells a story about Queen Esther. And in that story, Mordecai, her uncle, tells Esther, Esther, God has placed you in a place and you have the opportunity, you have the ability to help God's people. And he makes this statement. How do you know you are not here for such a time as this? I know our time's up, but I I want us to think about this challenge. I do not want us to leave our elders hanging. 
I feel their challenge. I feel the weight of that challenge. The weight that maybe God has placed you and I in this very location for such a time as this. Queen Esther was faced with a choice. Will I accept the challenge? Or will I not? Statistics say in this city and in this county, almost 50% of people attend church nowhere. In Hardin County, Tennessee. What will they see in us? When I go to school, when I go to work, when I'm in my neighborhood, what will my neighbors, what will those people I go to school with, what will those people I work with every day, what kind of faith will they see in me? Will they see a dead faith or an alive faith? As together we stand and sing. What a good-